as an accountant, there's nobody who is better positioned to be able to coach or work with business owning clients in a one-on-one capacity to grow profitability. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, today we have a guest joining us that helps accounting firm owners get their firms and their lives back under control after building a successful practice. Geraldine Carter of She Thinks Big Coaching is joining us for the show, and she coaches accountants on how to gain back control of their time after building a firm that makes them a reasonable living, but that somehow seems to hold them hostage in their own practice. I asked Geraldine to come on the show because I know that many of us early in our careers these days consider having our own business. And I figured the more we learn about how to structure it correctly in the first place, the better off we're all going to be. After all, you know, we usually start a business to do many things. Among them is to have more free time, but it doesn't always end up that way. So the more we learn about it and the earlier we learn it, the better. I think you're going to gain a lot of insight from this interview. If you do learn something from this episode, please check out our own unique classes that we offer online as well. You can find out more about the classes that we offer at www.mgrar.com. Once again, that's mgrar.com. Just click on classes and you'll see the full list in there. We have some unique tax courses for entry-level accountants that may interest you. If you want to get more experience and and almost like a an internship learning experience without the work, so to speak, you may want to check those out. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you in your own career or accounting organizations that you're involved in, please don't hesitate to reach out to me as well. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, Let's go ahead and get started with today's interview. This is really almost like a a mini class. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Here's Geraldine Carter. Well, hello, Geraldine. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Yeah, this will be fun. This will be fun. Well, for the audience, sometimes we do a slightly different format of a show that still applies to the careers of our listeners but maybe that isn't a career story from an accountant per se. I've been noticing Geraldine Carter in the marketplace as someone that helps accountants have better balance in their careers, self-employed accountants to be exact. And I know many students and younger professionals these days have aspirations to be their own boss at some point. So I invited Geraldine to come on the show and share some of her practice building wisdom with us. I know I'm really going to enjoy this conversation, and if you've ever thought of having your own practice someday, this is going to be beneficial for you as well. Well, Geraldine, before we get to all the advice portions, so to speak, of this episode, tell us the story, first of all, of how you got involved doing coaching for the accounting profession in the first place. Yeah. So I'm an engineer by trade. I'm not a CPA, not an accountant. Tax gives me hives. But what happened was I had started a business with a friend. And because I have a math background, I immediately fell into the managing the money and the finance role. And I found it really difficult to get the information that I needed that would be helpful for me in my business from my accountant. And fast forward, I ended up exiting the company and was kind of out on my own. And a number of colleagues came to me asking if I could help them understand their financials. So I'd walk them through their P&L and their balance sheet, 
And they would say things like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for explaining it to me. I had no idea. I've always wondered. And after a while, I started asking, where's your account? Like, why isn't your CPA explaining this to you? And there are all kinds of reasons. They're too busy. I can't get a hold of them. But in the meanwhile, a CPA reached out to me and said, I hear you're helping business owners grow. Do you think you could help me? And I had to stop for a second because I thought, wait a minute, you guys are like surrounded by businesses. Don't you learn all business, everything through osmosis? And what I learned was, in fact, no, CPAs are just like every other kind of business owner, that we all have strengths, we have our technical skills, but there's also a lot to learn when it comes to running an effective, profitable business that oftentimes gets left out of the standard training when we're getting our technical training. So I found the same thing with CPAs. They also had a few key blind spots in their businesses that was really preventing them from having a rewarding business and was causing them to overwork so much. So that's the how I got into working with CPAs. Interesting. How long ago was that that you started focusing on the accounting profession? Yes, I've been coaching independently for about six, seven years. And the first person who asked me, that probably happened three years ago, that the person came to me and said, can you help us grow our business? Okay. Okay. Before we get into sort of the business advice aspect, I mean, because I I know that's where we'll spend a large portion of the time. I have noticed that many accountants actually end up going into some kind of coaching, whether it be business coaching or financial coaching. I think I've even had one or two life coaches on the show, just various types of coaching. I think that we just like to help people, you know, (laughs) as part Mm -hmm. of it. I'm curious from your side, what do you enjoy about the work? Because I I think that'll Mm. be good for our audience to hear. Yeah. First and foremost, it's incredibly rewarding. It's a really fulfilling experience to partner with clients in a one-on-one way and do work that really changes their lives because we're taking their business from this thing that is like dominating their life and taking over and it's exhausting and they're under earning and they're frustrated and many of them are fried. And in a short amount of time, we're pivoting the business to be one that is highly profitable, margins go up and we start chipping away at getting time back. So by way of example, I'm working with somebody right now who, when she called me in March, was working 80 hours a week back to back, no break. And it's four months later, we have half a million dollars in new potential revenue that is out there being in conversation with clients. And the work week is currently down to 50 hours a week. And it's only been four months. It doesn't take long to shift somebody's business. And when you can help somebody change their own life in that way, it's like I say, it is deeply fulfilling and rewarding work. So that's my favorite thing about coaching from a business standpoint. But from a personal standpoint, I love the independence. I'm something of a stray cat and I get to set my own schedule, set my own time and really be in charge of creating my own life and my own destiny and what my life ends up looking like. And that's up to me, which is sometimes a little bit scary, but mostly that's really enjoyable because I want to be the one in charge of my life. So I love it. Coaching really works for me and who I am, but it's also not for everybody, right? Because owning a business is a big job. It's not everybody's suited for it. Sure, sure. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, working all the hours because I I do think that a lot of us, when we get into having our own business or being self-employed, however you want to refer to it, we feel like it's going to give us all this freedom. And Mm -hmm. so often we're headed in this direction and the further we go in in that direction, the less and less freedom we have, you know. Yeah, it's like the the freedom to work all the time. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) exactly. Yes. 
Yeah, I can work any 24 hours in the day that I exactly. want. <laughs> Interesting. So tell us, I want to make sure I don't direct the conversation or the interview just in that direction, because I'm sure that's a part of it, but I'm sure that's also not all of it. Tell us about your service. Exactly how do you help accountants that have their own practices, or how do you help accountants build their practices? What do you do for accountants exactly? Yeah, so most of my work is one-on-one because trying to turn a CPA firm is each person is different, they're individual, and they want different things with their lives and they want different things out of their business. So the work that I do is really to find out what do they really want in their life and to sort of pull the dream off the shelf because a lot of times we get so sucked under by life and by our business and the business ends up being the one in the driver's seat that we forget that we're actually the ones that are in charge and we lose sight of what we really wanted because we stop believing that it's possible. So my work is to help extract from the client what it is that they really, really, really want to create despite what they believe might not be possible and then build backwards from there, right? So oftentimes it looks like I want to have a certain amount of revenue. Maybe it's a million, maybe it's 500,000, maybe it's 5 million. And I want to work a certain number of hours a week. Maybe it's 30, maybe it's 20. I want to have Fridays off. So then we need to figure out, okay, what's going to enable that to happen? What kind of clients do you need to have? What kind of problems do they need to have that you can solve such that the value you can provide will command the fees that enable you to only have to work 20 hours a week and be bringing in the revenue and the, um, the income that you want. So we've got to reverse engineer and figure out what are the different parameters, what are the variables, and how are we going to make this work? And most often when clients come to me, they already have everything that they need. They have the client, they have the right kinds of clients. They have all the knowledge that they need. And usually what they have is too much, right? They've got too many clients. So their business is gummed up. So we need to work on disengaging clients and we need to figure out what the services are that make sense for the business. And that usually looks like some kind of, I don't like this term, but for lack of a better term, advisory services or fractional CFO where the CPA is meeting regularly, usually monthly, sometimes quarterly, sometimes twice monthly, sometimes weekly, depending on what the kind of work they like to do. And then helping step-by-step, helping the CPA shift into those roles. And that's not work that happens overnight. Typically, it takes us about four months to turn the ship and get it set in the right direction so that the CPA is confident that they know what they're doing and then now they can kind of fly on their own. So that's the primary way that I work with people because they want to shift their entire business. They are fed up with these 80-hour work weeks and they need some help with the vast array of possibilities. They need somebody who can kind of help them separate the wheat from the chaff. That's the main one. But then for people who want to bite off smaller things, I do a half-day pricing workshop where we just focus on getting their prices right so that they can stop undercharging because almost every CPA that I've ever spoken with is undercharging and they're under earning and as a consequence they're overworking. Wow. Okay. Gosh, there's so much to ask you about here. Actually, I'm going to ask about the last one first. So we're accountants. You would think we understand profitability, <laughs> how to figure it out. But why do we undercharge for our services? As a coach, what are your insights into why that happens so often? Yeah. So accountants understand profitability. That is definitely true. What they aren't taught sufficiently or in, um, effectively or what have you is value and building business around desired outcomes and how to price. So what, I mean, really what 
I see accountants needing, there are three keys that are like three linchpins that if you can turn them all in the right order, make an enormous difference. So most of us in business tend to focus on the service, the thing that we deliver, but really what we need to be talking about is outcomes and results that our clients want because the clients are buying outcomes. They're buying a transformation to a different place. You know, I want my business to make twice as much money as it made last year. So we need to focus on those results and helping clients, business owning clients achieve those kinds of results. So that's one piece is getting out of deliverables like monthly write-up and returns, focus on the outcomes that your best clients want. So that's the first piece. The second piece is appreciating the value of those transformations, right? And so there's profitability, but there's value and value is oftentimes, value is always subjective. It's like beauty, it's in the eye of the beholder. So that can be tricky for accountants who like things in nice neat boxes with clear equations where two plus two is always four, it's never five. But value is subjective. So it's hard for numbers folks like us to get our brains around. So how do you price something when it feels squishy or nebulous? But there are ways to learn how to price, to how there are ways to understand and quantify value. And from there, you can learn how to price and set a price in advance where you're always getting paid up front instead of in arrears. And then when you can do that, you get out of collecting AR and you get out of this term that you guys have, realization rates, which Mm -hmm. is this bizarre kind of collective hallucination of like, we're getting paid. We bill for $100,000, but maybe we'll collect $70,000. That makes no sense, right? We need to agree on the outcomes that we're going to arrive at and the price the price of those outcomes in advance and move towards getting paid up front. And the third piece is around generalism. And I appreciate that CPAs want to help people. And I believe they genuinely do want to help people. And we see this because they help so many people and they're trying to help too many people across a broad array of industries and professions. So if you look on any given CPA's website, it's going to say, you know, if you own a manufacturing company or if you're in retail or maybe you have a yoga studio or you're a consultant, we can help you. The problem with this is that when you're a generalist, it's impossible to develop subject matter expertise and you miss the opportunity to become a sought after expert, the person to go to for a certain set of problems. Because when you're that go-to person for a certain set of problems, you're sought after, you, you set the price, you provide heaps more value because you're the person who's figured it out. So the three things that CPAs need are to focus on outcomes and results to learn how to price and to focus on a profession or an industry and specialize. And when you do those things, those are the things that I was talking about, shift the CPA firm in a matter of months, right? This stuff doesn't have to take 18 months. Okay. There again, so many things I want to ask about. So you're referring to niching down your practice. Mm-hmm. How narrow a niche is too narrow? It's a hard question, I think, mm. for a lot of owners. It's like, how narrow do I go? Or how do I know as a practitioner how narrow is too narrow? <laughs> you'll find out when there are no more clients for you, really is the answer, until, there's, until the well is dry. But niching is a process and you can go right to super narrow. And if it's crickets, then there's nobody in the niche. So that's obviously not where you want to be. That, I've yet to see that happen, right? Most people err on the side of too general. So for example, professional services, a lot of people, a lot of CPAs will say, I want to niche into professional services that can include lawyers, architects, engineers, and so on. But it can also include ad agencies, creative types, website designers. So 
even within professional services, you can niche into, let's just say, architects, lawyers, and consultants, that has even a different feel than if I niched into professional services, creatives, ad agencies, and website designers. So in the process, to try and be helpful for your listeners here who are thinking about niching down, which I think of visually like a funnel, right? You start out, you go down, you get narrower and narrower and narrower. And if you're at the sort of like, I want to niche into professional services, then pick three inside the professional services that you like and start there. And you'll figure out just in working with those three industries, those three professions within professional services, which one you want to gravitate toward. And in time, six months, 12 months, you'll pick one that seems the most compelling and you go from there. And then you'll find that within, say, consultants, you might have tech consultants, you might have environmental consultants, and you can keep going down and down. And my experience of watching my own clients niche is that their lives get easier, their focus becomes more clear, they don't have to work as hard, and the money comes so much more easily. So even though it's intimidating at the outset because it feels like, I don't want to turn anybody away, the first step is the scariest. But as soon as you do it, you'll quickly find that everything, the business gets easier, life gets easier, and all the rest. Okay. Okay. So let's say you're working with me and, and I'm making the living I want, but I'm working way harder <laughs> than I wanted to. Hmm. To make it in my book of business, let's say I want to specialize in doctors and therapists, uh, maybe that's two doctors and therapists in my local area. Mm-hmm. And a third of my book of business is that. And then the other two thirds is just a smattering of everything else, <laughs> every kind of retail you can imagine, just other all kinds of industries. But what are the first steps to fixing this problem and getting me started on the path to be what I want to be, the go-to person for doctors and therapists. What are the first few steps? I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation. They've taken on whatever clients they could get so they could pay the bills, and then they end up with a practice that they don't quite enjoy. You know, What are the first few steps? Yeah. So I do a couple of things at once. And One step that I always take my clients through is we run an income by customer summary report. So we see all the clients and revenue by client and we put on a graph. So first we sort it in descending order, then put it on the graph. And it looks like a classic Y equals one over X curve, the kind where on the Y axis, it hugs the Y axis and goes to infinity. And on the X axis, it goes out to infinity. And what we see is that... so. Your listeners have likely heard of the 80-20 rule. What I often find is that it's 70% of clients only make up 30% of income. And your top 30% of clients, or sometimes even 20, account for 70 to 80% of your income. Meaning you can afford to let go of 70% of your clients with a 20% reduction of income, more or less. So you have to have the courage to say, okay, I'm going to disengage a set of clients and I don't encourage all 80% off the bottom all at once. We do this stepwise, but get rid of 20% of clients that you can afford to get rid of right now to free up space. Because the first thing we need to do is free up space. The vast majority of CPAs are working way too hard, way too many hours, and they just don't have the bandwidth, the time in their calendars to focus on growing their business. If you're going to change and grow your business, it requires time in your calendar to be able to set aside to focus on it. So the first step is creating that time by disengaging as many clients as you currently have the courage to disengage. So once we do that, then we can look at the doctors and therapists say, and we can say, okay, doctors and therapists, there's a lot here that's similar, but there's a lot that's different. I mean, namely the thing that comes to mind is pricing is really different in doctors and therapy. So what kind of problems do you want to be handling? 
And what kind of people do you want to deal with? Because the physicians are likely going to have a greater revenue potential, right? So one of my clients right now, for example, has niched into physicians in private practice in the three to $4 million range. They have a certain subset of problems. In addition, they tend to have real estate as a side hustle, right? So we're building a service, this is a tiny tangent, around practice physicians with real estate as a side hustle to manage both those things in a sort of CFO, if you will, capacity. But if you wanted to go the therapist route, you would be dealing with therapists who themselves tend to have pricing problems because they, in the therapy world, they often think that money is evil and they shouldn't get paid for what they do and so on. So you're working with people who are going to have issues related to money, let's just say, and perhaps some compunction about making money and being profitable. So the question becomes, which group of people do you want to work with? And strategically, which do you think is going to be better for your business and for your life? And deciding from there, going in with eyes wide open about which group of folks you're going to enjoy more and which industry or profession is better suited toward the business that you desire creating. So there's no right or wrong answer here because both options, either doctors or therapists, are viable. But the business model will look different depending on which group you want to work with. But where you could start just in terms of first steps is so disengage as many clients as you can stomach in the moment and then just focus on doctors and therapists. Work with all of them, both of them, for a period of time, perhaps eight months, and then see which one you like better and then you can narrow from there. I love how you very politely told me that my niche is too wide, doctors and therapists. (laughs) That was very kind of you. (laughs) It often is, right? I mean, niching down is a hard process because every time you do it, you've got to exclude people, which is painful. Yes. So there again, talking to the practicalities of this, just because I am an accountant, I do it hard as well. I I don't do that anymore, but I still CPA and I still very much you know, have the accountant inside of me. And, and when I look at these numbers you're giving me, okay, so 70% of my clients only make up 30% of my income, or the top 20% make up 70 to 80% of my income. You, know, you can look at that two ways. You can look at it as, well, I, if I give up 70 or 80% of my clients, if I only keep the 20%, the top 20%, well, I'm keeping 70 to 80% of my income. But then the flip side is, well, wait a minute, I'm giving up 20 percent to 30 percent of my income. So I'm curious if you have any, I guess from your experience, any insight into how long it takes people that do this to recover. How long does it take me once I bite the bullet and go all in on the niche? How long does it take me to recover that 20 to 30 percent of my income that I just threw out the window? Yeah. So let's reframe giving up 20 to 30 percent of income because really what you're doing is freeing up your time and you're probably freeing up 60% of your time, if not more, in order to double or triple your business inside of a year. So the question is, is it worth it to you to take the risk of giving up 20% of your income, which is maybe, I don't know, $40,000 a year, in order to make $500,000 a year or $300,000 a year? Like Those are pretty good odds. I would do that with my money all day versus the stock market, right? So We've got to reframe a little, like taking on a little bit of risk. And I get that accountants and CPAs tend to be risk averse, but if you want to increase profits, profits come from risk. So we've got to be willing to give up a little bit to gain a whole lot more. So your question was, how long does it take to recoup that? And the answer is six, eight, 10, 12 weeks. Doesn't take very long at all. And moreover, we're doing it at a time of the year when you probably weren't going to make that income anyways, because 
I mean, if you're an accountant doing monthly services, okay, then maybe that's slightly different. If you're a CPA focused for whom the vast majority of your income comes in in April and May, when we do this work in June, July, August, September, those aren't big money-making months anyways. So you're not actually giving up anything. You're just getting your time back. So the time to take, let me give you an example. I'll give you a couple of examples because I think they're useful. Because I think a lot of people think that change takes so long. But this one client who I mentioned working with one-on-one, so she's doing great, obviously. And in 12 weeks, there's probably, she has nine clients she's converting to fractional CFO services. Another one in 10 weeks, three clients, fractional CFO services, about $110,000. One of my clients within 10 days, new contract, $30,000. Another one of my clients in probably 12 to 16 weeks, $100,000 of new consulting business. And that represents about a little less than 50% of her previous existing revenue. So this change happens really fast. It doesn't have to take long. It just requires a bit of courage. Hmm. Interesting. I can relate very early in my in the life cycle of my business, first couple of years, I decided to niche down and yeah, we gave up somewhere around 20 to 30% of the business we were doing at the time. But within two years, I think it was actually shorter than that. We were at double <laughs> the amount of mm, food. Yep. Um, yeah, and we were go. a lot happier and less headaches and we were, you know, we were mm-hmm. more comfortable <laughs> you know, in our own skin. Yeah. So yep. it's and just quality that, of life is incredibly important. Yeah. I was working with the business coach at the time, and I bet it took a year of conversations for Mm. me to finally say, okay, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you're right, but I'm going to do it, and it it ended up working out. (laughs) I'm paying you. I should listen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, too funny, too funny. Okay. Something, I know this is switching a little bit, but something that always intrigues me about conversations like this, when you talk about being more value-added and niching down and so you understand your client's business more, it sounds like the CPA, the accountant, really starts to become more of a business coach, (laughs) you know, themselves, Mm -hmm. if they're doing this Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, yeah, which is intriguing. I mean, I think accountants and CPAs are sitting in the catbird seat when it comes to opportunity because who else as a consultant or coach has access to the business's financials in a way that the CPA or the accountant does, right? Nobody else. You're the one with access to the numbers. You're the one with access to the data. So if you can get yourself in the position to not just report on the data, but to think about the data, the numbers, the money in a way that the client probably hasn't thought about, doesn't know how to think about, time to think about, that's enormously valuable. Because remember that most business owners, a lot of business owners are not money people. They're not math and numbers people. Some of them are, but a lot of them are scared of their money. They don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to handle it. And all the rest, they've got mindset challenges. Maybe they have money scarcity issues. Maybe they believe in being cheap. Maybe they think that success for other is for other people. They're getting in their own way. So as an accountant, there's nobody who is better positioned to be able to coach or work with business owning clients in a one-on-one capacity to grow profitability. So take advantage of that position and leverage it and optimize it. Mm-hmm. A large part of our audience and really who we target the show for are either students and they've decided they want to go the accounting path or they're, they're staff members the first, I don't know, one to five years in their career, so to speak. 
if I'm at that level in my career and I'm sitting in a large corporation or, or maybe I'm in an accounting firm and I know that someday I want to have my own business, I know what we've been talking about has really been from the position of someone that's already been in practice and has headaches. But if I was thinking about starting my own, what advice would you have for me to get started the right way so that I avoid <laughs> some of the mm. headaches that come along later? So a couple of things. One thing I would do is find the CPA who's just come back from a four-week vacation. Get advice from them, right? Be careful and selective about who you get advice from. From a business position, I would say one place for CPAs, one place that I think is unique to them where they get stuck is that because it's required by law to file tax, file taxes, you have a sort of steady stream of people who will need you, which is great when you're first starting out because you can build a book of business quite rapidly. But it's great until a point and then it becomes a trap. And the trap is that you never have to learn until that point. You didn't have to learn how to position and market your business. And a steady stream of people who need you to just to get their taxes done is going to become a trap of a tax factory where you'll, if you look around you, you'll probably bill by the hour and you won't be focused on business outcomes. So like I said earlier, focusing on business outcomes, learning how to price and niching down. So of those things, the thing that you can do while you're kind of contemplating perhaps going out on your own is to be to study a profession or an industry. Start building your expertise in just one place and understand what it is that drives profitability in construction, for example. Where do construction owners get stuck? Where are they leaking money? Or look at physicians like we mentioned earlier. What is it about them? There's a joke among CPAs as told to me that behind every physician is a failed business owner or something along those lines, like kind of physicians make bad business owners. And I don't know whether or not that's true, but you could certainly imagine that there are physicians who just want to focus on their craft or you could pick real estate, right? Understand the tax code inside and out when it comes to real estate. Focus, focus, focus so that you become an industry expert more quickly and that will set you up and get you in position when you go out on your own to be offering tons of value right out of the gates. And when you offer tons of value, you can charge much more, of course, for your services. Sure, sure. I I think what you were saying about physicians, at least for the most part, is probably correct. (laughs) 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 What I hear from other accounts. Oh, too funny, too funny. Well, well, this has been wonderful. I do end every show with the same three questions, and, and we probably better get to those. It's sort of a tradition on our mm. podcast, and I don't want to change it at this point. I, I think it'll still apply with you. So but moving on to that section, I guess. First question, from a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? So I'm one of those people who's had quite a varied career, and I think back to my first business when we were running events and the culminating moment of the event was watching 150 cyclists ride their bike up Constitution Avenue in Washington, D.C. to meet with members of Congress to talk about sustainability and climate change. And what made me so proud about that moment was that in starting that business, we were building something that I didn't know if it was possible to actually do. When we set up shop and filed our LLC, I wasn't sure that what we were doing was possible, but we charged ahead anyways. And to actually hear the roar of 100 cyclists and all their families welcoming them riding up Constitution Avenue was a feeling like I've never had before in terms of being able to bring to fruition 
a vision that I had long had, and we weren't sure if it was possible, but we made it possible. That was my proudest moment. You know, I, I was going to ask you about your earlier career because I had seen Climate Ride. I assume, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yes. Okay, okay. I should have devoted more time to that. We'll have to come back for episode two sometime or something, <laughs> or supplemental. That'll be fun, fun discussion. That is cool. Well, second request, not so much question, but request, tell us about a lesson that you've learned the hard way. And, and the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how we you know, learn from these. So there's something about starting a business that in order to be successful takes a certain amount of persistence and dedication and dogged determination that it sometimes can bleed into obstinance. And in both of the businesses that I've started, the lesson that I've learned is listen to your marketplace, listen to what they want and deliver what they want. And the way that that showed up with the first company that I co-founded, as you mentioned, Climate Ride, was I had a vision for what we wanted to create. We created it the first time, but then the marketplace started to change what they wanted. They wanted something slightly different. I was dead set on my way and what I wanted. But as a business owner, you may not have a marketplace if you're dead set on the thing that you want. And I learned it in my second business when I started out coaching and consulting. I had a certain vision about what I wanted to create, what I wanted to build, but I was having an impossible time getting it up off the ground. And it wasn't until I started listening to the marketplace, again, learning the lesson the second time, that things got so much easier. So on the one hand, I'm a big proponent, of course, of figure out what your vision is. And then from a business standpoint, understand what your marketplace and listen to what they're telling you. And if you have any obstinate tendencies like me, just watch out for them. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> there is something to, so a lot of truth to listening to the market because we can think we know what the right answer is. But Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's pertinent for CPAs and accountants in this conversation about building services, right? Because CPAs will ask me, what should I build? And the answer is, let's figure out what your marketplace wants and not just build in a vacuum. Mm. There you go. There you go. The last question, then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? So I worked one-on-one with Alan Weiss for a while, and he's written 60 books on pricing and value and all the rest. And he would hammer into me the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. It's like every meeting, he would say, Geraldine, best possible results in the shortest amount of time. And that has really informed how I work with my clients. I'm always on the lookout for how can I help them get better, more powerful results in less time. And the more I do that, the better results my clients get, the better my business gets, and everything just falls into place. Best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Mm, That is great advice. Yeah, it's, it's important for us to remember that the customer wants to get out of whatever pain they're in. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they don't necessarily want to be on a program. They just they want you to help them in the <laughs> yes. of time. They don't want it to take a year, right? No. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, and it's got to get you off of hourly billing, right? Because that's an incentive against you. Best possible results, shortest amount of time. Beautiful. Well, that's perfect to end this on. So if I want to find out about you more online or your business, or let's say I am a practitioner and I'm making money, but it's just wearing me out, (laughs) where's the best place to find you online? Yeah. So your listeners can find me in a couple of places. I think we had a quick conversation about it early on. We're both podcast hosts. 
My podcast is on strategy and pricing, and it's smart strategy for CPAs. Another place people can find me is at my website, shethinksbigcoaching.com. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm forward slash Geraldine Carter. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and also your wisdom with us, Geraldine. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you today. Well, that was my interview with Geraldine Carter. And, you know, there are a few things that really rang true to me in this. My father had his own practice, and so I got into accounting at a very, very young age. And I can really relate to the conversation about valuing your services. You know, we as accountants, we want to serve the client. We want to do a good job for them, and we want to do it at a fair price, something that's fair to them and fair to us. However, it's easy to get into caring so much about the client that you undervalue what you're doing for them. And so I think we need to hear that message, particularly if you're thinking about starting your own practice. It's very important to set the right expectations early. And so I really appreciated that part of the conversation. And then we've heard this from other guests as well. They're self-employed, but the conversation about selecting a niche and really drilling down on that niche or, or niching your business down, niching your practice down, there is a lot of truth in that because you become that much more the expert and then you're sought out by other individuals because of that expertise. So it just makes all the sense in the world, even for accounting professionals. Well, that wraps up another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. Next week, we're going to be back with another typical interview style show where we're interviewing a successful accounting professional about their career path so you can hear all the different things that you can do with a background in accounting. Well, until then, I wish you the best in everything you're doing, and we'll see you soon. In fact, it'll be next week. After all, this is Where Accountants Go. Where Accountants Go.